Hi there, I am Keisha Shields and I am the hostess of She Will Not Be Silent, a podcast for women, by women, that centers women. She Will Not Be Silent is about life, leadership, love, and relationships, business, all things womanhood. I hope that you find some takeaways and that you're able to feel like you can connect with the stories being told. Take out your notepad if you wish. Most importantly, just relax. Hey y'all. Okay, so today is one of my conversations with friends here on She Will Not Be Silent. And I am interviewing the amazing Nikki Innocent. Now, Nikki is a humanity activist, social entrepreneur, and speaker focused on women's leadership and diversity and inclusion. She left her corporate career to tackle the challenges she and many others face in the workplace. Nikki's work centers around shifting to a new leadership paradigm where more stories can be told and voices can be heard. Nikki is also the creator and host of the podcast, Check Box Other, that focuses on belonging and the experience of feeling other. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with my friend, Nikki Innocent. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I'm so excited. So I have the gorgeous Nikki Innocent on today with me on She Will Not Be Silent. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. And so for those of you who are actually watching the video, you're going to be able to feel like you're right here with us. And if you're not watching the video, pop over to the link and you'll be able to see us interact with each other. Um, virtually, of course, to keep safe distances away from everything. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Okay, so you all. So Nikki Innocent is a friend of mine who I just adore. Um, we both met um, in our certified leadership program that we took as leadership and executive coaches. Um, and, you know, some people just kind of hit it off and Nikki and I were like those kind of people. So I love it. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. Nikki, how are you? Oh my goodness. I am. My face hurts already. We've just started and I've been smiling so hard. I am so excited to be here. My goodness. Oh, I'm so excited to see your face. It's like, uh, it's such a gift to my day to day. So oh, that's so see y'all see, that's what I'm talking. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who is Nikki Innocent? Oh my goodness. She's a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> One of them isn't, she is not somebody that should be silenced. And there has been a lot of silencing in my life one way or another, externally and internally. So who is Nikki? Nikki is a connector. It's weird talking about myself in the third person. I'll bring it back. I am a connector and an amplifier. So um, by trade prior to stepping into the women's leadership and diversity and inclusion space, I was a trained marketer. So I went to school for marketing and spent over a decade of my career in marketing. And before that, I was like the ultimate, well, I shouldn't say before that, still am, like the ultimate fan girl of things I get excited about. I can't control myself. And in that same way, I think I am somebody that creates and holds space to amplify the amazing things other people are doing. Um, 
the thing about the silencing that I mentioned earlier is that I was really, really bad at amplifying the things I was doing. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit of like the forces at play that make that happen. But uh, I have since, so it's been almost four, it'll be four years in like a month and a half that I left my corporate career uh, to start my own business. And it, I know it's crazy. It feels That's like, amazing. yeah, it feels like so much longer, but also feels like so much short. I don't know. I don't know. I will say, so just acknowledging where we are right now with COVID-19, I will say that one of the things that has been so interesting for me is that I've had the opportunity to have about four years of training for this idea of social distancing and working from home and kind of creating your own path forward in uncertainty. And so um, I guess that might be a part of, of who I am as well, of, you know, really just the creativity that I'm able to exhibit when I allow and do not silence it um, has been really powerful. And so how Keisha and I met was through a women's leadership certification course um, and program. And that was something that I didn't even plan to do. It was just something that I had listened to the women's leadership podcast. And again, fangirled so hard about all the content felt like it was my own professional therapy <laughs> that I needed at the time because I had just left my corporate self. Um, and in my, you know, in my current, just like literally like fangirl, but also somebody that wants to tell every person that I think can help about it. I dove in head first and went to um, one of the events and then, you know, 20, uh, 2016 election happened and right after that, I believe it was like the week after that I traveled from, so I'm based in Boston. I traveled from Boston to South Carolina. Uh, I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and I immediately signed up for the program to, to go into the coaching side of things. Cause I was like, Hey, okay, we really like, we really like the idea of shifting the, the paradigm of leadership, of conversation, of just really understanding how powerful women are. Um, how can we do something about it? And so that's how I, I got into the, um, the coaching piece of it from women's leadership perspective. And then, you know, how, how, how the world and the universe tends to present opportunities to you. There was a women's networking group that I was a part of that came up to me and said, we're piloting a diversity and inclusion programming to offer to mainly initially it was tech companies. Um, and we think you would be really great for this. And I was like, okay, I mean, have I lived and breathed this? Because, you know, as a biracial woman in a predominantly white environment, a predominantly male environment, and a predominantly analytical environment, like the creative, <laughs> multiracial female, and like my body is not one where I can really hide that I'm a female. Uh, people tend to notice, especially, you know, when I walk into a room and I'm the darkest one there, which, I mean, anyone that's looking, you know, I'm not the darkest person around, but... Mm -hmm. When you walk into a room and you look and appear and even your energy is different from other people, they look at you and it doesn't always feel great, you know? And I think that that's another thing we'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure, about silencing is when you are somebody that even if you're trying to sneak in the back of a yoga class and not be noticed and people see you, it's really difficult to give yourself a minute in any kind of public space to just be present and and check in with yourself because you do feel like you're on display one way or another. And so I've been working really hard to figure out how to set boundaries and, and situations in my life where I can be present in my own experience rather than projecting the performative nature of making sure that everyone else around me feels comfortable, feels okay. You know, the, one of the most common questions, and you know, I did a TED talk back in April. I did two te TED talks back in April of 2019 because I thought that, you know, why? That's think amazing. 
amazing a little a little just unstable uh, like just <laughs> very very nicky-ish yes never 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 dipping a toe jumping in yeah <laughs> to anyone that was around me at that time like I was trying so hard to memorize so many things that just like normal conversation would have random words that didn't make any sense. So like the word crayon for some, not that crayon was in any of my talks, started just popping out of my brain. Wow. My brain was like, I can't handle all this. Okay. So yeah, so I'm a speaker as well. And so I do coaching, I do diversity inclusion work, both with individuals and organizations. Um, and I go out and I speak and I create spaces where other people can share their stories. A big part of when I first went into my entrepreneurial journey was to start a company called Story and Voice, which was initially the focus of it was to create a space for small and medium-sized businesses, mostly women-led, um, that hadn't had the opportunity to hear, to be, to be heard, or had their stories heard or their voices heard to make the shifts and the differences that we wanted. So that was all my marketing expertise channeled into like, how do we amplify these folks? And now it's still the same idea, but it it allows me to go a little bit deeper um, with regard to just the kind of the individual experience of how we limit ourselves and we limit others without even knowing. I started this company's story and voice initially to amplify voices or companies' voices that were unheard that were hopefully creating spaces for others to do the same. And I realized, wait a second, I've been really good at amplifying other people. What if I go and I create a space to share the things that I've learned around women's leadership, around diversity and inclusion, and around kind of building a creative business and thinking differently um, to help us chart new pathways? You know, I think one of the things initially, I don't know if you felt this way when you were thinking about coaching, um, but what I had been exposed to with regard to coaching in my corporate life was very separate. So yeah, so I started Story and Voice to kind of bring everything together um, as a marketer initially, and then realized that my tendency to put myself in the background was becoming a hindrance. So instead I decided to leapfrog it and say, Hey, this is going to be, I'm going to build this based on who I am and how I I've shown up in the world and the experiences I've had, um, and leverage that personal story and that storytelling to allow for other people to show up and be vulnerable and honest and open and feel safe enough to share their stories and their experiences because on all levels from coaching to consulting I think it is really important for us to bring the humanity back into so many things that we're doing so let so, me ask you this yeah Lisa. yeah because so, you bring up a great point and you were talking a little bit about how being coached like at work as opposed to like just the humanity of the person yeah. Um, how did you feel or from your experience with coworkers or friends who felt like their story didn't matter at all to the company. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did I feel in experiencing that? Mm -hmm. well, I'll tell you how I felt and I'll tell you what I did. Okay. Um, I think a big reason why I left corporate was because of witnessing other people being treated like crap and not being able to exist. Um, and I've learned a lot, you know, I've done a lot of things. I've been doing therapy since I was like eight. I was the kid that was like, hey, mom, dad, can I go to therapy? And they're both like, we don't do therapy. I'm like, but she does. Let's go take her. So um, I am a big, big, big proponent of therapy. And I try to talk about it and normalize, normalize it as much as possible because I do think it's something that um, everybody can benefit from. Um, find your right therapist and, and go through that process. But um, the reason I say that is, I, it took me a really long time to acknowledge and give credit to my story and the stuff I was going through because so much 
aspect of my life, I, I realize now, was in survival mode. So um, witnessing the difficulty and the silencing or even just like the complete and utter disrespect and disregard of other people um, was something that was really, really troubling for me. Um, it wasn't always some big overt like New York Times level story that would happen, but I would watch just like the air being slowly deflated from people's balloons Absolutely. in the environments that I was in and watching how their magic that I would witness because I, you know, I was the person that people used to like make comments about how much I'd go and talk and interact with people, but it was the best way for me to be good at my job, to be able to understand what this person, this person, and this person were doing. So we're not being redundant. We're not duplicating efforts. But the way that I did that was to meet them on a human level. So you really could understand the power that they brought to the party rather than waiting for the times and meetings where they may or may not be given the time and space to share what they have to say. Um, and so that was a really difficult thing for me to witness. Um, and so, yes, did I go and create spaces to hear what these people had to say on an individual level 100%? Did I amplify them in the meetings that I was in and they weren't? Yes, definitely. Um, but I also had a lot of younger women that would come to me and just feel like, you know, they were going crazy, right? Like they were like, I said this five times and no one heard me, or I know how to fix this, but no one's giving me the chance. Or, you know, I feel like I don't belong here, right? Imposter syndrome, hardcore. That again. Right? Like it's, it's amazing to witness yourself in other people and be able to, I mean, this is what's beautiful about, I guess, coaching and my, a lot of my friendships I realize now were more coaching relationships than friendships because of the lack of kind of balanced reciprocity just by the way I was showing up in the world. Um, so yeah, you it work. A word with that statement. Isn't it exhausting when you realize it? <laughs> Nikki. Yeah, yeah. So to say that with a smile has taken a lot of work. Because um, there was, you know, the person I became, you know, people call themselves type A, right? And it's like a great, really positive thing, especially in the workplace. Like people, especially right now in COVID-19, you're like, I'm type A, I can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. I had, I like forced myself to be type A. Like I learned that to survive, that's what I had to do. I went to a school that was all business and super competitive. And I went to an industry management consulting and then investment management, super competitive. And so I became this like optimized machine, hmm. but still tried to find humanity in there. So that was so much work. And then tried to create that for other people was so much work. And so stepping outside of those bounds and saying, wait a second, I don't actually think I see what's happening, but I don't think I can make the change by living within the lane. So I have to step out and create my own has been kind of that. It went from individual storytelling opportunities like at their cubes leaning over being like tell me what's going on tell me what you think to kind of individual coaching coming in my office sitting in a chair like it felt like therapy a lot of time right right and then to realizing no matter what I do if it's kind of the whole Audre Lord the master's tool vibe like if I'm trying to use the tools of the master I can't overthrow what's happening and so it gave me that little, I mean, I'll say I went from a larger company to a smaller company that was showing all the isms hardcore like to one point there was um we were looking to hire someone and the <laughs> the question was raised in the bullpen um whether or not a woman who was extremely overqualified for a role would be able to handle the job because her boyfriend lived in new york and if she moved to boston how could she handle herself being away from the man in her life whereas the craziest part of that entire dynamic 
was, we'll say that was about two o'clock. At three o'clock that same day, one of the guys that was in this role left to get on a plane to go see his girlfriend who was living in a completely other state. But that was fine. It was more that the woman couldn't handle, oh my goodness, she couldn't handle herself. And so there were pieces of this that like in my old career, previous career, much more professional settings, you know, I think that these things showed themselves in what we call microaggressions a lot of times. Um, but also like it's self-imposed sometimes where you just realize, well, I'm not going to be heard. So there must be something wrong with me about why I'm not going to be heard. And I got thrown into this situation where it was so overt that I couldn't deny what was really happening. Um, and I'm grateful for it. You know, <laughs> six months of my health going to crap and me, you know, feeling like, uh, I was in, I was in a dystopian future was, was, was the kick I needed. Otherwise I never would have, I never would have bet on myself. And so I don't wish that experience on others, but I think sometimes you really need to pay attention to the forces around you that are trying to tell you things when you, if you, you are type A or have forced yourself to become type A or potentially you are in survival mode. Cause I realized for 30 so years of my life, I was in survival mode, um, that you're not even allowing yourself to see past, um, what we like to call is the hamster wheel that you're you're running in so yeah absolutely and you know like there's like three things that like kept jumping out at me like as you were talking so i'm gonna try to like have them flow in some way but who knows (laughs) no pressure i don't even know which way i want to go so how about (laughs) this so i'm gonna so one of the things and we'll just talk about it right is um I remember, and it's sad to say, because I never thought I would be in this position, right? Mm -hmm. In the workplace, where I got to a place in a a company that I was working for, um, an executive role at that, right? When I got to a point where I actually said to my husband, and like one day I, I said to him, I said, I feel like a battered wife when I go to work. I yep. mean, I realized that I have been in a narcissistic fueled working relationship, like to the point where like I had lost my capacity to say hell no to things. I had lost my agency, if you will, right? Like I went from this vibrant, outspoken, these are my ideas type of thing to before I knew it, I was letting things slide that never should have been slidable, right? Right. And, you know, and I mean, it, it, it got bad. And then you look up and I'm like, oh my, I mean, literally it felt, I felt like I had been in an abusive and emotionally, verbally abusive relationship. And especially like for most of us women, most of them listening here are professional women, you know, um, it's like, you don't, it can, how easily that can happen, no matter how strong you are, no matter how this you are. And that's how a lot of my kind of work came about. I'm like, we need to deal with that because being in most industries being so male dominated, you know, at the time, you know, for the many, many years, I was in the construction and building industry. And you know how that goes, right? Extremely male dominated, like investment banking and all of the other things, right? And like, when I tell you the level of sexism 
here I am, the only woman, I'm the youngest by far, the only yeah. black person, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of how you talked about having like those three things, right? And I talked about um, before when I was getting my coaching certification, like one of the things that shifted for me was that because I realized after a while I kept staying because I was hoping to prop my foot up in that door and hold that door open for another woman, another black person or someone else, because I knew when I left, that was going to be it. Yeah. Why is that my problem? Like when I tell you, I felt, I felt like a shell of who I was coming from someone so strong willed mm -hmm. and opinionated and a freaking smart, right? Yes. So I wanted to bring that forth and I wanted to talk to you and find out, <laughs> have you been there? Have your girlfriends been there? Talk to me. So if anyone was watching the video, I apologize. I get so excited and like, I know, I don't want to interrupt. I'm like, ah! my hands are going. I'm like, uh, so the first thing you said about the abusive relationship, I want to acknowledge, you know, people that are in physically abusive relationships, uh, a lot of times when we say stuff like this, it can feel like we're minimizing. It's mm -hmm. not at all. Um, and I think a lot of when we talk about these things, we talk a lot about abuse as a physical experience. Um, we talked about this uh, in my, my podcast. Oh, I, uh, anyway, in my podcast about um, sexual assault, where like there are so many aspects of this that aren't physical. Um, when, when abuse happens, it, yes, it can manifest itself that way, but there's so much depth when you have that emotional and mental and verbal abuse happening around you. And so I just want to acknowledge that uh, though it's not spoken about, it's starting to be spoken about a lot more, mm -hmm. this experience of the, the abuse and assault that happens that's not, you can't see it. You can't see it happening. It doesn't mean it's not real. Um, and so one of the things when you were talking about that abusive relationship you were having, my therapist and I back in like 2013, we're, ta we're talking about my job. We kind of, in order to sum all those things up together, we called it my abusive sugar daddy. That the idea was, right, it's a not a great environment. I'm not being treated well necessarily. And it doesn't mean that there's intent to be treating you absolutely terribly. It doesn't mean it's some big movie villain dynamic, but it's something that is slowly chipping away at your ability to believe in yourself, to show up as yourself, to be a fully vibrant leader that you are, to feel intelligent and intellectually stimulated and able and welcome to share what you've got going on. Um, so there's that part of things that I think so many women uh, that have spoken to me we talk about it like it's just the status quo and it's normal. And when you're able to give yourself the, um, the okay to acknowledge it out loud, it gives you the power back slowly. So I think that's a really important piece to really acknowledge that there are little tiny things that are happening every day. And even more so with us shifting the social distancing space to really allow yourself to witness it in the digital uh, forum is, is interesting as well. The expectation that you're always on, the expectation that you're going to pick up for everybody else, the expectation that you're going to take notes, the expectation that you're going to be quiet so other people can be heard. So many different little things that in the moment you can deal with, it's fine. But altogether, it is a burden to bear and it's super heavy to walk around with all day, which makes it so you feel exhausted at the end of the day. And the sugar daddy piece, I think, is important too. Mm -hmm. 
because so much of a, so much of the capitalism that we operate within and the patriarchy, but I'm talking capitalism specifically here, I guess, I guess the daddy would be the patriarchy, um, is that we have been told that the ultimate value is money, mm-hmm. that the ultimate worth is money. And so as long as you pay me, you can do whatever you want to me, is an idea that I don't think we call out as loudly as we should. And so many of us, especially if we've been conditioned from very young age to wear a certain color, to be the teacher and the mommy as you're playing with your toys and don't play with the trucks and don't think about science and don't try to be too smart. Be nice, don't be smart. I think there's so much stuff that's so far, (laughs) has been ingrained for such a long time. It's not just you enter the workplace and the stuff showing up. It's been there for a really long time. You have been conditioned and programmed to think that these things are not a big deal, but if you give yourself the space to see it and determine, hey, is this how I want to interact on a daily basis? Or even better, if you're anyone like I was, if you you hear and look at yourself and say, I can survive it, it's fine. Look at someone that you really care and love, care for and love, and would you want them to go through that experience? Because sometimes it can be hard to see yourself with the generosity that you would someone you love. So I think that kind of the abusive sugar daddy piece was something that really unlocked something for me to start seeing it. Let me acknowledge it took me years to get out of it, mm-hmm. but to give it a name and call it a thing. And I always say, you know, call the thing a thing. It gives you so much more power to make a difference. Certainly. certainly. Yeah. And like you said, when you, when you name it, when you acknowledge it, and then too, one of the things that I wanted to bring up going back a little bit about what you said, which I love that you, you know, presence that we, this is not minimizing any forms of abuse. Yes. You take that from someone who has experienced physical abuse among right. other things, right? Yeah. It's not a minimizing it. And with that being said, so many women in the workplace, especially, don't talk about it because, well, it wasn't physical. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or we do talk about it, but it's not about at the workplace. It's about what happened in my in- intimate partner relationship, right? Right. When there are so many of us who experience that and it is like you find that you suffer in silence, yeah. you know, being with someone who is, I mean, extreme narcissism, I mean, as if more, narcissism by itself isn't enough, right? <laughs> um, you know, manipulative you know, who quite frankly, well, I was, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You know, quite frankly, um, I have found in my experience, a lot of it started taking place because they felt there was a threat to their level of intelligence. I was a threat to their capacity to build the way that they felt it needed to be. You know, here I am bringing in not only fresh ideas, but well-researched, well-vetted, um, you know, ideas and implementing things. And a lot of people just don't like that. But when I acknowledge, because like, it, this was a long road and I would have been like, well, no, no way, not me. That's not happening. But when I actually stopped, because when I say I started to shrivel up, I mean, I would be physically ill at the thought of going to the office, right? Mm -hmm. Physically ill. Like my staff would, like we're noticing the difference, right? I mean, and I mean, literally noticing the difference. And it's like, we don't often talk about it, but it's a very real thing. 
And I think women are often silenced in that way because we don't want to rub things the wrong way. We feel like, well, if we say it, then we have lost, we that door is getting kicked closed, right, for the next person, or that'll stop our promotion upward, right, to other things. And it's a, it's a big problem. It is, definitely. You know, it's so interesting, too. I think part of the um, just doing work in a space that's around shifting things and charting a new path and creating a new paradigm, it's really interesting to give yourself the room and the space to think about what a future could look like if it were different. I think one of the things you mentioned um, is this kind of linear masculine leadership dynamic that we're in right now where like you have to climb over each other. They can only be the one person. And I mean, the threat piece, I think is a really important thing to acknowledge that we're taught that if you're not the first, you're last. I mean, it feels like a Talladega Nights. I think it was the movie Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, yeah. you're last, right? Mm -hmm. So like this whole idea that in order to exist in a space and to be powerful, you have to be the only one who is, is something that is, I mean, if you look at the, um, the biology of how the female and the male brains are created, it's such a, like, like, I mean, we're talking embryo state that like just the amount of cells that are created and connections that are created around collaboration and collaborative thinking, they're different just because of the surge of testosterone that happens really young. Um, there's a book called Moody Bitches. Uh, if nobody's read it, I highly recommend it. Anybody that's talked to me in the last like six months, I apologize. I bring it up like I, I always. Oh, it's so good. And it talks about all these different aspects of how women are operating in the world and the pills and the drugs and all these things that we're taking to minimize our femininity to operate within this male space um, and how that has limited our power as women and that kind of divine feminine power we have and the ability to collaborate and connect with others. So yes, it's called Moody Bitches. I'll send you the link so you can include it. Um, but I, I do, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that we have been fed this conditioned version of leadership that's been around, you know, I always talk about this when I go into corporate, like we're operating in like Mad Men era a lot of times of like, you have to have this bravado, you have to be the best, the loudest, the first, the most macho, you need to peacock, you have to do all this stuff. And as you're talking about the threat that you pose by showing up and being prepared and having a plan and doing all this, you weren't coming in saying, let me kick everyone around me and get rid of them. You were saying, I'm going to do my part and let's all lift up together. I think yeah. it's, it's something that we hear a lot about, like women lifting women, we hear, but to actually practice and behave that way is, it's a stretch because again, it's a muscle we haven't really used on a regular basis. And so I think to even just call a thing a thing again and say, a lot of times this threat is a projection of the situations that we're in and we think that we're no longer going to be relevant. And this happens in a gender dynamic. This happens in a racial dynamic. This happens even, I mean, think about religious dynamics, like just all the identity buckets where we're battling with people that right now in the middle of a global pandemic, all that stuff feels ridiculous because at the end of the day, we're all one human race and we're all just as vulnerable as one another. Like, the part of this that we, I hope, comes out of here, like, it's weird to feel like you're excited about some part of this is just the ability for us to just boil down to the foundation of we're so much better when we can work together rather than trying to step on top of each other to get to the top. Absolutely. And along those, the lines of that is what, let's talk about um, when you, because I talked about how, like, my staff were, would see me and... Yeah 
they were noticing the things, right? And I had a very, I, I'm, I'm gonna, to myself, because I am one of the best of the best when it comes to leading my team, right? And that mm-hmm. was such a threat to the companies, to the corporations, because I have, like probably like you and so many of people listening, I have that ability to put people in their proper positions in a way that shifts everything. Mm-hmm. You might have, when I came in, you may have been the receptionist, but actually you were better as the operations manager, right? Or the director of something. And I put you in that position, the shift, right? And so my thing is, what do women do, right? When they notice another woman, they notice the subtle differences, they notice the little jabs or the starting to retract and retreat, especially in the workplace, right? We'll start there. What do they do? Because it can easily come across as you're in my business, you're imposing. I'm going to just shut up so you can jump in because I want to hear. No, never shut up. Never shut up. I think, you know, there's, it's so funny. So as you're talking about this, I'm going to answer the question as well, but I want to just reference that you know, a big part of my learning of how to, how to be that type of leader or even just teammate was growing up playing soccer. So I pretty, I say this all the time that I like grew up with a soccer ball on my foot. And if anybody is a soccer fan, you'll understand this. If you're not, I mean, I'm sure you've seen something around the women's national team in the news somewhere around equal pay. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, I feel like equal pay might be something you're, you're aware of. <laughs> um, And so, you know, the thing about soccer that I think is so interesting, I grew up playing soccer, but I also grew up in a line of coaches. So my dad's a coach. um, And I always really understood and valued the strategic position of a coach and of, of, I mean, as somebody, as a member of a team, I used to play in central midfield, which was kind of the person that had to be able to understand all that was going on from a strategic perspective. The reason I say this is as a soccer player, you cannot win the game as one person. You cannot win the game as one person. You cannot expect for yourself to have all the skills to be the fastest, but also also the best defender, but also the best uh, shoot scorer to be the goal. You can't be all things all times to be a successful soccer player. And so I think there's a big part of just growing up in team sports, which again, I just was listening to another podcast. Um, it was Dak Shepard's podcast, which is interesting because I don't always listen to it, but I wanted to listen to it because I was talking about this book. Sorry, everybody, you're going to have this long book list after this, but this book called Boys and Sex. And one of the things they were talking about was the percentage of people that play team sports. And so to me, it was like 50% of high school kids are playing team sports. So that to me feels like 50% of people that are going through school have some experience of being a member of a team so as a leader and right there's all this talk of like athletes make great leaders so it blows my mind honestly that you know that there are all these people yes there are individual sports but there are a lot of people that have played team sports that once they get to a level of a leader kind of seem to have forgotten that dynamic and so i yes. think if you are if you are somebody that had a, that experience of being and i wouldn't shouldn't even say athlete if you've been on any kind of team if you've been on a debate team if you've been on a chess team if you've been on anything you understand that there are some people that are strong than you are at certain things and there's some people that are weaker than you are at certain things Certainly. and you offset each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I think that that part I just wanted to mention that isn't specific to women but I do think it's a universal experience that if you've lived and breathed in any dynamic where you have to come together you it's not new news mm-hmm. um, and right. I think women specifically 
if we're talking to women, I think we have the ability and the experience of coming together. I think they always make comments and conversations about how women go to the bathroom together or how we have our little like book clubs and all this stuff. And it's kind of, again, it's, I even, I just said little, right? Like it's always minimized how powerful those things are just because they aren't fortifying the conditioned belief that this kind of big, strong, macho, all in one leader is, is the way to be. But like we as women are incredibly good. And again, there are some women that aren't. So I know I'm speaking and bring general generalities. Um, But we're, we're naturally made to create villages and tribes and coalitions of people to make things happen. And so I think giving yourself that pat on the back of acknowledging your power and, and also acknowledging the ways you do it already gives you the ability to see like, oh wait, I'm already this type of leader. I don't have to make myself that leader. I'm showing up every day in my life and I am exhibiting those leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think the other thing I want to mention around this, see, I even, uh, is this book, it's called um, Text Me When You Get Home. And it's, I loved it so much. I read it like three years ago, four years ago, maybe, but it's all about the modern female friendship. And part of that actually talks about this dynamic of competition within between women. And I think in the workplace, this stuff tends to show up like in an ugly way, in a gossipy way, in a a way where women are battling against each other when really what they should be doing is battling against the systems that are making them feel like they need to battle against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I say this within work, I say this in, you know, how many, how many movies, Disney movies across the board, do you see the two women pitted against each other to get the guy or to get the thing? Like there is this constant narrative that women need to battle against each other to achieve what we want and how to succeed that I think is underlying a lot of times in our dynamics in the workplace. Um, And there are a lot of words. I mean, there are so many articles about how women are reviewed differently than men and the words that are used in women's reviews. Um, I actually, one of the examples that I give people sometimes is I went into a review and, you know, I wasn't getting compensated the way that even the company itself had valued my role. And I came to the table after an incredibly glowing review and said, hey, so here's the deal. I hear you. I love the accolades. I'm just really trying to understand why I'm $5,000 behind what you gave as the baseline for this job before anyone started and I've been here for two years and I've been killing it I've been doing five times the amount of work as the person who's here before me I want to know you know what do I and it wasn't like screw you it was like I want to understand because I'm getting a glowing review there's no real negative feedback here what what do I need to do to get to the base level of value financially for this job and I was told and this was by another woman I was told how dare you? Where did you come from? Who do you think you are? And the craziest part was we came from very similar backgrounds. But uh-huh. Usually. The reaction was from somebody that if a guy had said all that, it would have been like, oh my goodness, here you go. But because I said it, it was triggering a whole bunch of different ways. And I don't, it, the thing is, I don't fault her for it, right? I don't say she's a terrible human. I don't say any of that. It's all so conditioned in, in the way we operate in the workplace. Conditioning. It, it, yeah. When I say it has become so ingrained in us. Like we are conditioned that we have been conditioned that way. And that is not our natural state. Right. Because you mentioned previously about the natural inclination of women to build and tend villages, right? To nurture, 
along the way, I think when women became able to enter the workplace, which to me still blows my mind that time existed where women could not do what we're doing now, right? Yep. Yep. And not long ago on top of that, but we have become conditioned, right? To be that way, which tell me about the other question I wanted to bring forth about something you said. Mm. Talked about the workplace, let's talk about friendships. You said something that when I tell you that that tingle went down my spine because I you had the Amen choir over here. Okay? <laughs> when you said you rec- recognize that most of your friendships at a point you were you were basically the coach in the re- in the friendship in the relationship. I wanted to talk about that. I want us to have a conversation about that because I suspect that's going to be a hot button topic when it comes to our listeners who are joining us for this conversation. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Give myself a big deep breath. Um, <laughs> so um, I'll reference that text me and you get home book as well because they talk a lot. Uh, her name is Kayleen. Um, the author, and she talks a lot about friendship and what friendship looks like and how um, the familial unit in modern times has really shifted our ability to kind of really truly connect with people. Um, And that when we come together, a lot of times it is over things that we're having a really hard time figuring out. So I don't want to minimize the fact that your friends are people that you can lean on for support. but what I started to realize, and with the question I began to ask myself, and again, this took this, I sh- I'm not even going to take credit. I don't know exactly who. It was a therapist or a coach that, or, or both probably multiple times. And there was one time when it hit the time where I understood what they were actually trying to get me to look at. Um, but I started realizing that energetically, I was so drained, so drained coming out of conversations with friends or nights out for dinner. And I was like, why the heck is this happening? I, and I will be honest, because it was so much of my relationships, I don't think I even realized that there were other opportunities and other relationships to have. Um, and friendships for women are very, very powerful and very, very important. And, you know, I've been single for a very long time, um, purposefully-ish. And I think that I value so much of my chosen family that are my friendships. And I started to realize that I knew way more about my friends than they knew about me. I also started realizing that paying attention to when my friends would reach out was when they were in a time of need or um, things were going badly. And I started to realize that I wanted to be, my coach actually kept being like, how do you experience joy? How do you experience like celebration? And I realized that so many of my dynamics were around their times of crisis and struggle that if I wanted to experience joy and celebration, they were so used to me being around in times that they were in a bad place that to kind of shift their mental patterns with who I am and where I show up was really difficult. So even when I was out trying to be joyous about something, there would be either some form of projection around I'm feeling envious, which Lindsay Perra talks about the alchemy of envy, which I thought was like mind blowing. Um, Or this piece of like, I don't actually know how to celebrate you because I don't really know how to celebrate myself. Um, And so it's been, it has been a really difficult journey. I still find myself battling with it. My friendships have dwindled because of it. Less because I'm like, screw you all, bye, but more because I know that the energy I've got, when you're running your own business, you need as much energy as you can to be present with 
building your business baby. I always talk about this, especially now. So many of my friends are pregnant, having babies, having seconds and thirds and whatever. And there's so much again in our society because a women's place is in the home. Uh, I, like, I can't even say it out loud without like, uh. um, <laughs> that like there is a value place to the fact that like, if you have a child, it's okay that you completely detach from every other part of your identity. And so I always think about this and I, I it's so funny. So many people have been like, write a blog about it, do something about this. But the fact that my business is my baby and how that looks and how people have reacted to me treating it that way, to me treating it as though it's not going to stay alive until I feed it. It's not going to stay alive or it's going to feel neglected if I don't give it attention. I need to give a, a lot of my energy. And also, by the way, I don't have a spouse to help me with it. My, my business isn't going to school. My business isn't learning how to wipe itself. It's not doing any of those things. So there is a lot that has to go into creating this. And I think that so much of my shift towards really trying to find dynamics, whether it be friendships or like business connections that help build my energy well back up or at least sustain it. A lot of folks have felt as though I'm neglecting them. They feel there's a lot. I mean, I can show you, it's actually bizarre the people that go crazy about this because so many of them are like distant, like never have we ever had any kind of depth of relationship. They literally know nothing about me other than the stuff I put on my podcast or I put out in the world from a like public consumption perspective, but they feel like they have some ownership of my time and my energy over friendship. But when I start asking, like, do they know about me? Do they ask about me, about the things that aren't social media level friendship? And they're expecting me literally to drop everything I'm doing when they need or want something. So that's been a really difficult dynamic because I don't like when people are mad at me. And I think most of us don't really like it. Right. But when you start owning your space and stepping into this and saying, I want reciprocal friendship, I want reciprocal business relationships, there are going to be people that haven't, have benefited from your lack of uh, need for that reciprocity back for them that are going to be really upset about it. Um, and I'm here to say, I guess, that it's going to feel like shit at first, but the more you allow yourself the trust that you're doing it for the right reason the easier it gets. It never really gets easy, but the easier it gets to understand the reason you're doing it because it actually creates space and room for people that will show up and be reciprocal, people that will be reliable and follow through, and the people that maybe you were in a relationship that wasn't reciprocal who are willing to come back to the table and say, how can we make this a seesaw that we're both doing the same amount of work on? Yep, absolutely. You know, and you know, you, you talk about that and I wanted to come back around to that because that is a significant lived experience. I mean, for a significant portion of my life and especially adult life. Yeah. And I remember like, I was, I'm like, ever since I was like a little girl, I was two things. Like when I was in like first grade, kids called me mama bear, right? Mama. Like, I was always very, I'm like, where you know, <laughs> just, you know, and then also I was a girl, you know, junior high, high school, where if you ask the majority of people, who is your best friend? It was Keisha, right? Like they all felt like I was like their best friend and this whole thing. So I've all, because I've always been the person that listens, that mm -hmm. doesn't interrupt, that was there when you needed them. You know, all of the things, hours long conversations where you literally talked about the same things from the last three calls with no, <laughs> right? But I just patiently listen and listen and listen. 
And then conveniently, when it was time to move on to anything I had going on, it was time to go, right? Yes. Um, and then I, so what I started doing, and this is in recent, I mean, super recent times, I recognized that I was also the coach in the majority of my friendships. And what I started doing was this. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to see something. So friends would text me, right, with the obligatory, how are you? before they go into what they really wanted to do, <laughs> not to know how I was doing, right? Yeah. How are you? Or they would say, oh, how are you feeling? I would not even answer that question. I would just go into what I knew they wanted because I wanted to see if they even noticed that I never told them how I was doing. Yep. They never did. Nope. They never noticed yeah. Or what I would do, they would say, how are you? Or even on the phone, they would say, oh, how are you, Keisha? I would say, how are you? And I would never answer. Right. Intentionally, most of them never even noticed because quite frankly, they didn't really care how I was doing. That wasn't, not, not that they don't care how I'm doing, but that wasn't, it wasn't genuine. Yeah. It was, well, I know she's not going to talk to me if I don't at least ask how she's doing. Like I have pretty clear boundaries when I really I'm like um, they're asking me and they didn't even notice that I didn't answer yeah but, you know it's so interesting you know I there's a podcast interview I did as a guest and I think it was 2017 and there was a talk we talked about this a little bit and I had I feel I'm like embodying it then because I was oh I, <laughs> I had just seen you actually it was May of 2017 I believe um yeah. Uh, I was in, I was in a tough emotional spot at the time. And, uh, there was a lot of imbalances and a lot of lack of reciprocity, reciprocity across the board, but I was really, really angsty about this reciprocity imbalance. And I was like, why can't my friends show up? Why can't they? Oh, I felt like a little kid having a bit of a temper tantrum. I'm honest. My delivery was very eloquent. I, hate, I love when people tell me I'm eloquent, but I don't know how to talk about that another time too. Um, but you know, the thing I, I've gotten to at this point that has given me so much, oh, it's just given me so much energy back, I guess, is just this understanding that literally everybody is doing the best that they can. Best that they can doesn't mean that I just keep giving them more and hope for them to show up differently, but it means that they're doing the best they can. They're not intending to hurt me but they are hurting me, right? So to not, not gaslight myself that it's not happening, but to, to really come to the table with the fact that, yeah, this is super frustrating. I've been in all these imbalanced relationships. This is super frustrating that they're never gonna really ask me about how I'm doing. This is super frustrating because whenever I need help, time's up. Oh, well, I don't mean time's up like me too, time's up. But I mean, you know, oops, yeah. sorry, I gotta go. My I kid's go. falling. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's something that happens and it still does happen with some friends uh, but I will say that what I do now is I say it out loud. I say, Hey, you know, I'm realizing that this happens. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's your intention, but I, I, I do want to say that it's happening because in a relationships, I need this. Um, and I, and I really do allow myself the grace to understand, like I'm showing up and, and willing to witness others. And sometimes that to them means that I'm their best friend. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a part of this. I don't, I feel like you and I must've talked about this before, but like, 
what I've had people come up to me, even when I'm keynoting, right? So I'm not actually, I mean, well, my keynote is intentionally supposed to be interactive, right? I include all these different things. There's call and response kind of vibes. There's Q and A's, all that. But I've had multiple people come up and be like, oh my God, I feel like we're best friends. I know that that's, again, like I was saying, I can walk into a room and people notice me. I know that's a power that I have, whether I want it or not. Yep. And so what I've realized is people feel that way Mama Keisha here, people feel that way. And that's not something to, it, it, it's something to be aware of as the person that can create that space and to allow yourself to create boundaries around it. And I think yes. data and the science that you're using and be like, I'm going to try this and see how it goes. It gives you a little bit of that science experiment. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, for me, it was, I mean, talk to, my, <laughs> talk to anybody in my life that I've been actually talking about this dynamic with it. It's been there's been a lot of tears, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of angst. And these are all emotions that I thought I wasn't allowed to put out loud, yeah. for, you know, before four years ago. Yes. And um, I think that really coming to the table, knowing that you have that ability to make everybody feel comfortable and feel seen and be witnessed is a beautiful thing. But without boundaries, it is an energy suck. Um, I'm bringing up another book. I just apparently love these. I don't know if you'll notice. I think they're all written by women. Hmm. Um, there's a book called Burnout by Emily Nagowski and her sister, Amelia Nagowski. I, I mentioned Emily first because I also read a book from her called Come As You Are, which is all about female sexuality. I recommend both of them. They're delightful. They're funny, but they're also, I mean, you're learning so many things. But in Burnout, it talks about this whole ability to pay attention to your energy and how important your energy well is. And to give yourself that okay when you're realizing something isn't working and trust your body with that. And so a big part of this is the ability to claim when you're feeling angry, the ability to claim when you're crying, the ability to think that those things are okay. When your body is rejecting you, like, yeah. I mean, in one of my TED Talks, literally you can see it, you can scroll back on my Instagram, I think, and you can see my entire body shutting down. These things are all clues. They're not something that you should be mad at your body for doing. Your body is trying to take care of you. Yes. So I think there's so many pieces of this dynamic that if you are somebody that can be beautifully present and witness people and create that opportunity for them to feel seen, it's an extremely powerful thing, but it isn't a place for your people pleaser to go on overdrive and you're taking care of yourself to go Absolutely. unseen. I completely agree with that. And one thing that I wanted to present too, as we kind of wrap up this yeah. conversation together. Oh, it's over. I know is this because I'm going to counter something that you said, right? But I do it with a lot of people. Please. It was something, it was something that I silenced myself about for a very long time, Ooh, right? Oh, yes. It is this. I disagree. I don't always or mostly think that the majority of people are doing the best they can because it's not, uh, because when we do that, we allow ourselves to continue to perpetuate the excuse that they're, they're just doing the best they can, you will, from my experience, absolutely mm -hmm. know when a friend is doing the best he or she can with where they are. You will also know if you are calling a thing a thing, you will also know when they simply just, they're not doing the best they can and mm -hmm. they don't care. And it's up to you what you do in that moment. Like I just like I posted on I think Facebook 
recently. I think I post this probably, I barely post online, first of all. But when I do, usually this is like probably every, I don't know how often I need to go back and check. When That's I right. say often, not all mothers are doing the best they can. Not all fathers are doing the best they can where they are with what they have. I'm calling BS on that. I see them, I know them, and many of them do not care, right? And when we continue, and even and we might just be conditioned, right, to, to want so badly to believe that people connected to us are doing just, they're doing the best they can, and they're using their tools, and yeah, some. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I, I hear you. I'll tell you that my lived experience has been the opposite, that I always assumed people were not doing the best they could. I always assumed that you should show up more. The perfectionist in me, I felt that, and, and I say this saying, I said this outwardly, but I said it 10 times louder to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I truly, and again, I think to each their own in this dynamic, I really believe that everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got in this moment. And that doesn't mean that because you have this money, you should be spending all this money in the best place. It means that we understand that the dynamic of living life has so many different fab so many different dynamics to it. So like from a energetic perspective, from a mental health perspective, from the ability to put your presence in a bunch of different places. I think the other piece of this, it's really important for me and my own, especially right now, when we're I'm in, you know, the echo chamber of self isolation and yeah. just, you know. Is, is really to understand that it gives me the okay to stop feeling like I have any influence, power, or intelligence that can change another person. Mm -hmm. So that to me is, unless they want it, unless they're asking, and then even more so, this is where the friendship dynamic comes in, then I am valued appropriately for the labor I am putting forth to educate. Yes. Um, but it, I think it, unsolicited feedback and unsolicited pushing is just something that people, you know, as human beings, I always say this when I'm doing kind of corporate work, it's like, if I'm coming and shaming and judging you and telling you you're not able to do things, it's not a place where you're going to be able to be expansive in here. Mm -hmm. So I, I, well, I, I do believe that there's room for growth and potential for people to step into. I do, I do. And you know, it's, it's the way for me to, to live in this world and believe in the possibility of a, a better future, I think. Sure. And, Absolutely. and I will, like there was, honestly, you talk to me, <laughs> there, there, you talk to the old me and there's a lot of me that's like, I can tell you and still don't, not, let's, let's not act like she's not still in here. Mm -hmm. um, I can activate that and tell you five different ways that people should be doing better mm -hmm. within five minutes of meeting them. Yeah. But I, you know, there is a part for me in order to show up and have the energy tank and the energy levels that I need is to allow for this understanding that people are showing up and doing the best they can with what they're feeling in that very moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I can appreciate that like yeah. so much because I mean, that's the beauty of like women not being silent so that we can yes. put space for yes. our perspectives because the opposite has been true for me. When yeah. I even when I know someone is not doing the best they can where they are with what they have, mm -hmm. not because it's my judgment, because I have literally asked them, right, as an example. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm at a point where I will ask people, do you think you're doing the best you can? And the people are like, no, and I don't care. Like, literally, people have said that when I have 
offered them an invitation, right, mm -hmm. um, to inquire in that. And them saying that helps me to do what the opposite does for you. It helps me to know that it's perfectly okay, that people yeah. are going to be where they are, who they are, right? And it allows me to see the best in people because mm. I know that I don't have to coach them. I know they're not open to the change right now, right? And so the, the opposite, although it's the same outcome, I yeah. love that we can both hold space for the experiences to not mirror each other, but have the same like desirability at the end, you know, which is so great. 100%. Like, and it's so important. And so what I want to ask you is two things as we wrap up our conversation. What no. is Nikki Innocent no longer allowed to be silenced about? <laughs> Oh, I feel like you should talk to my mom about this one because she's the first person that, <laughs> that normally experiences my commitment of that to myself. Um, hmm. I'm not, well, okay. I'm no longer allowed to be silent about how those who matter the most to me make me feel. Whether that be silent to them or silent in a way for myself to hear and witness and process it. Um, I spent so much of my time uh, with, you know, I mentioned my stepfather earlier. He was a very narcissistic, verbally, emotionally, mentally toxic place. And I, I learned that we walk on eggshells. I learned in a bunch of different places that I need to walk on eggshells and be quiet and swallow all of the emotions. And really emotions are weakness. So don't have them detach from those. Just keep going all day, every day. And it's taken, I mean, years and years and decades of therapy and work to get to a spot where I can say right now that like, I'm finally learning to trust my emotions and not think of them as um, a side effect of living life and an inconvenience and to really understand the knowing that comes through with the emotion that happens. And so, yeah, I'd say that the, the thing that I'm no longer allowing myself to be silenced with is my own experience of emotion and living life and what I feel from a guttural perspective um, when I show up each day. <sighs> yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Wow, that. Yeah. And, and what, I think we all do. We all I, have some I version of that. I agree. And how, what do you wish womanhood, whatever that means for you, mm. what is your wish for womanhood? Oh, I really feel like I should just start a bookstore. So <laughs> even though hey, I think we love, it. We love books. Right, right, right. Okay. So there's a book that my coach recommended to me back in October um called you are a goddess and it's all about the divine feminine and the nine goddesses um and a big part of what i took away from that i actually i won't go to it but i was in a very open space of like spiritual transformation i had gone to sedona by myself for myself to celebrate my birthday and I listened to this audiobook in the, you know, red mountains, the red rocks, right? And so I was literally just like, use me as a vehicle for understanding. Yes. 
And the thing that was the most powerful about that book for me, I mean, there's so many pieces that were just like mind blowing, but also like, I feel like I've been anti, when I first went to the first guy, women lead uh, event and I, 2016, 2017, uh, 2017, it was the first time I'd been around people that were talking about spirituality. And I was like, okay, whatever this, you know, woo woo is the word, right? Whatever that is, that sounds cool, but I have no idea what that is. So I'm going to leave it there. And you guys do your thing. I'll do my thing. And the more that I've allowed that space to open up for there to be not just mind, because mind was pretty much all I was operating in. And then I started to let body in and soul and spirituality and kind of universal intelligence, whatever you call what's over there. Religion is in that space, right? Um, I started to realize that there's so much unrealized power, specifically with women. So in this book, there is a huge chunk of it talking about historical power for women and how prior to patriarchy, prior to the things we learn about in our history books, that women had this incredible amount of power to lead and to create peaceful civilizations and peaceful societies where people were all allowed to show up as themselves and be strong in their spaces and creating productive, wonderfully fruitful spaces. Um, and for me, that was something that I was like, I have felt that in my, like deep in my soul, in my gut, I have felt that reality. I didn't realize it was an opportunity in the world, you know, like it, maybe it's just my own thing. I'm bouncing around with the idea that women are literally are the most powerful beings I've been around. Right. Mm -hmm. But this whole idea that in times that I never got to learn about, that women were the leaders of civilization together and creating this opportunity for men to also lead in their own way and for everybody to show up and exist. And the power dynamics weren't what power dynamics are that we, we know about. It literally changed my life and changed my thought process and changed my idea for what like, I always talk about how I try not to have a mountaintop to go to because once I get to that mountaintop, I realize, oh crap, nope, either this isn't the mountain I wanted or the mountain's so much higher than I expected. But this gave me this vision that I was like, well, I'm not crazy. There are other people, there are other experiences, there have been past historical representations of the fact that there is so much more power in this idea of collaborative, accepted, holistic, authentic existence where we can all be our different selves, but we can all exist in harmony. So and that's perfect because yeah. what I want to end with this yeah. question for you is, what does it mean to you when you hear that a woman has been silenced? Like, how do you know? Like, what? So tell me that. I get, well, my body reacts before my mind. Okay. Uh, I get, like, super protective. Um, I am somebody I've learned as I've been doing a lot of work that is willing to kind of be the person that stands in front of the train, even though it's not my stuff, I'm willing to be that person to stop whatever's coming for other people to be there. So if somebody is being silenced, I'm willing to take the brunt of it so that they can be heard. Um, so yeah, I think I get a little bit mama bear, right? I get a little bit like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> I get like, I'm going to walk up on that stage, snatch that microphone and give it to her. Um, yeah. And my body, again, I mentioned this, but my body like shakes. My body gets hot. It shakes. That's when I know things are really freaking bothering me. My knuckles get really white and tight because I, you know, I do this. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, and I, you know, not that I think that's the way everybody needs to react to that, but I do think that um, 
it is important for us to pay attention to how we feel. So I love, love, love that question because there's so much power in that feeling. I love it. Nikki, Mm. oh my gosh. So I am so excited that we did this. Um, I'm so just so excited. Thank you (laughs) so much. So tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have coming up next, how they can be supportive of that. Yes. Okay. So I like to say it this way on social media, I'm Nikki innocent, like the opposite of guilty, innocent. Nikki is with two K's and an I at the end. And uh, so at Nikki innocent on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Um, I'm over on LinkedIn. If you search Nikki innocent, you will see me there. Um, Connect with me in any of those spaces, follow what we got going on. That's really great. Um, I have a podcast. It's called Checkbox Other. I'm sure it will have been in the introduction as well, but it's all about um, highlighting stories from people who have nest. Oh, look at this. That last question. People that have been historically unheard or silenced or experiences that have been unheard, silenced or pushed away because, you know, there's some sort of stigma. Um, so definitely join us over there. If you are willing to give the generosity of your ears that you have done up until this point, we'd love to have you over there as well. Um, and then, yeah, there's, if you're looking for somebody, if you're interested in working with me as a coach, you can definitely go NikkiInnocent.com. Um, speaker, we do uh, small and large groups. We do corporate work. Uh, definitely reach out. And uh, the cool, exciting part, that's crazy because I promise I didn't bring this up because of the self-quarantine piece, but we've been working on online programming. So we're going to create some online um, offerings one is going to be a 30-day challenge that's going to be coming up around how to surround yourself with some more inclusive programming if you want to do some work in your own time in your own space um, to think about the world a little bit differently. So yeah, that's awesome. on all the socials. And yeah. for those of you who are listening like in your favorite podcast player or you're overwatching it on YouTube, go to the website, KeishaShields.com. Yes. I'll have links and we'll have all of Nikki's links um there <laughs> sorry for all the book links i'm apologize i'm like yeah, giggling definitely. yeah i'm gonna i'll i'm gonna let you know what books we mentioned today <laughs> to right so just go to the page and that way you can connect with her so just go to keishashields.com slash podcast and you'll be able to find it there nikki thank you so very much oh my goodness thank you I feels insufficient for how i'm feeling right now I appreciate you. And we will see you all in our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.